I would like to invite all of you who are new with us, whether you're here on campus or whether you are watching at church at home or at a later date, to be a part of our family. We're inviting you. Yes, we've got room around our table for you. Now, just so that you know what you're being invited to, first and foremost, uh, we are a family where fluff is not enough. You know, so if you're looking for a church with a super cool, hip, trendy pastor who wears uh, skinny jeans with a hyper-coiffed hair and has the coolest tats in the world, you're at the wrong place. (laughs) However, if you want real answers to real questions in life and you want to listen to someone who's been doing it for a long time and knows what the Lord once proclaimed to his people, then you found the right place. And so we're a real place about real life and real faith. And we're in this series called Jesus is King. And whenever we start a new series, what we want to do is we want to show you the passages of scripture that we study. And the reason why is because I want you to read them as many times as you can until the end of the series. All right. So Uh, They're right up here on the screen. They're John chapter 1. Now, you can read the whole chapter, but verses 1 through 5 and verses 14 are really important. There's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. There's Colossians chapter 1, 13 through 20. And there is 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And we're going to be referencing all of these. Today in particular, we're going to be focusing on John chapter 1. But each week, we're going to talk about all of them, but we'll highlight one in particular. Now, don't worry if you haven't got those written down so quick, because you can download our phone app, and you can get all the notes of what I'm teaching on today in the message notes on the phone app. So all those passages of scripture and all that. And uh, it says up there on the screen how you can do that. Now, one of the things I love about this time of the year is it's Christmas. Loving Christmas. Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year. And what's interesting is, did you know that over 160 nations across the globe celebrate Christmas as a holiday? And there's only 193 nations out there. So basically that means that over 80% of all the nations across the globe are celebrating the birth of Jesus. Now, I realize that a lot of those places, they probably do it for commercial reasons. A lot of their people don't believe in the divinity of Christ. But that's not really my point because it's interesting to me that you have this person, first of all, he lived 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, and we're celebrating his birthday in over 80% of the countries. Now, that's an amazing thing to me. Also, when you take into account that this person never led a conquering army, you know, you've heard of like Genghis Khan, right? The Mongolian horde that, that built this massive, or Alexander the Great, you, you heard about these great conquerors. Well, Jesus never did that. Are we celebrating Genghis Khan's birthday? No. Do we sell Alexander the Great's birthday? No. As a matter of fact, we tend to name our dogs and pets after these people, right? But Jesus, we celebrate his birthday. Think about this. Jesus never wrote a book like Plato wrote Plato's Republic, which influences our government and all of our universities today. Homer's Iliad or Odyssey. 
He never wrote any book like that, and yet we celebrate his birthday and not Homer's or Plato's birthday. He never was an earthly ruler like Charlemagne who built a massive empire, but yet we celebrate his birthday. How can a man that was uh, basically an itinerant preacher, he walked around and he owned no home, no goods, just the clothes on his back, preaching and teaching, have such an impact on the world today? Well, the short answer to that is because Jesus is king, all right? He is the king, king of kings, lord of lords. And so that's what our new series is all about, that Jesus is king all across the globe. Now, I have a question for you. Why should he be your king, not just a king? You see, the world may celebrate his birthday, but not everybody in the world believes he is their king. And so my question for you is, how is he your king? Why should he be your king? Is he your king? And that's an important question to answer. And you might think to yourself, just because everybody out there in the world celebrates his birthday, just because there's a lot of uh, nations that see it as a commercial holiday, a lot of, some people think that he's a king. Why should I? I think that's a really good question. And the reason why is this. I'm going to kind of lay out a little bit of an argument for you because there's something that every human being, you and I included, have in common. And you know what that is? Everyone has a king, whether they admit it or not. Everybody does. Now, there's options out there that you could pick from. Like, for instance, there's a group today, uh, atheists are very, very popular. You know, they rule YouTube and they put out videos. And there's this group called the nuns. And these are people on the census who check the box, uh, 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 any religious affiliation, and they click the box, none, right? That's growing. It's up to like 17, 20% of American people. And what's really interesting is you have uh, other people who are very like, uh, well, I don't believe uh, um, in organized religion. And I'm like, well, Foothills would be a great place for you because we're actually disorganized religion. Um, uh, But other people are saying, well, I don't believe in organized religion. I'm very spiritual, right? I'm a very spiritual person, but I'm not. And I said, okay, that's cool. Um, But Just realize that when you say that, if you really think about it, what you're saying is, I'm the king. See, if I'm an atheist, I'm saying, I'm the king. If if I say that, well, if I'm spiritual, and I'm the one who decides what's good and what's righteous, I'm the the one that, that, you know, I'm the one deciding. So in essence, you're the king. Now, don't feel bad if you're that way, especially if you're listening online. Don't feel bad about that because the vast majority of people, whether they realize it or not, or about being their own king. There's other people, though, who uh, they pursue uh, experiences. They, ex- they, they want to possess something, right? And so they might be thinking, I want to be the greatest actress ever, and I want to win uh, all of these awards, and I want to be commanding the highest fee you could ever imagine, or I want to be, you know, president of the United States, or I want to be the first person to do this, or I want to do that, or everything. Some people live for those types of things, but when you live for a material experience or a material thing or an accomplishment, what you're really saying is that my king is materialism, whether you want to admit it or not. 
I mean, I could go down the list, but like, for instance, what about people who are addicted to something? If you've ever had a person who is an addict in your family or somebody that you know, it's, you realize after a while that their addiction is their king. That's what rules their life. You see, whether we want to admit it or not, who our king is, is the one that molds our behavior, influences our decisions, and even tells us what we value and we don't value. So, why should Jesus be your king? Well, I'll tell you why. Because everyone has a king, and you should pick well. So we're going to go over four biblical principles throughout this series based on those passages of Scripture to help you know why, for you personally, Jesus is king. So let's look at them here real quick. Number one is this. What is his claim to be the king of kings? In other words, does Jesus have a claim where he could be your king? Number two, what impact has his kingdom made on the world? So next week, what we're going to do is we're going to see, well, if Jesus really is king, what impact has his kingdom had over the last 2,000 years? So there'll be a lot of history in there for all you history buffs. Now, number three is uh, in three weeks or two weeks from today, we're going to study how powerful is his kingship? In other words, when you follow a king, you want to follow the most powerful king of all. And so how do we know Jesus is the most powerful king of all? And then on Christmas Eve, our main uh, focus is going to be what is the defining characteristic of his kingdom? Why would you want to be a part of his king? Because what is the number one defining characteristic of his kingdom? So these are the biblical principles, and these are the things that we are going to study over the next four weeks. So let's kind of dig into that first one, and that is, what is his claim to be a king or king of kings? How can Jesus be the king of kings? Well, first and foremost, if you were to look at Matthew chapter 1, and if you were, you would see that they trace his ancestral lineage through Mary back to the house of David. Now, the David that they talk about is the David in the Old Testament. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, David, he wrote a lot of uh, the Psalms. And what he was is he was a powerful king that finally solidified and advanced the nation of Israel. And so the very first verse in Matthew chapter 1 is, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. So he wasn't the, the immediate son of David. He was about, you know, I don't know, probably 10 generations, 15 generations down, but that's how they track it. If you go over to Luke, you see that his earthly father, Joseph, he tracks his lineage back to the house of David. Now, in case you think that's really weird that Mary and Joseph were both offspring of David, there was a 700-year gap between David and them. Just saying, okay? But you know what? It's not his, his earthly ancestral lineage that makes him such a powerful king or the king of kings. It's actually his spiritual ancestry. And here it is. This is hard to grasp, but I want it to sink in on you, okay? And that is this. Jesus was God before he was born as a baby. Think about that for a moment. Jesus was God before he was born 
as a human being. And that, my friends, is the most powerful and unique claim ever made. It's the one and only claim that means Jesus should be your personal king. And he is also the king of kings and lord of lords of everyone. Now, why is that? Well, if you think about it, there's not a whole lot of belief systems and a whole lot of religions out there that talk about these issues in a really deep and big way. And the claim of Jesus is the most unique and special compared to all of them. For instance, right now there's about a billion Hindus who live in India. They're predominantly in India. And Hinduism revolves around a three Godhead. You have Brahma, the creator. The second one, I can never pronounce the name right, is the maintainer. So it's like a person who keeps everything running. And then there is Shiva, the destroyer God that comes in and destroys everything. And then underneath them, you have, you know, anywhere from 3,000 to 33 million sub-gods. Now, what's interesting about Hinduism is that none of those gods have ever claimed to come in the flesh. And the reason why is because at its core, Hinduism teaches that the goal is to reach nirvana where you are set free from the fleshly realm. Because what's happening now is you are stuck in an ever-ending cycle of fleshly life where you are born and reborn over and over again. So they don't ever claim to be fleshly because that's not good. That's being stuck. Now, Buddhism, which started out as a sub-philosophy of Hinduism, follows the teachings of Siddhartha Gwantama, also known as the Buddha. And by the way, in real life, he was really skinny. <laughs> Just saying. Now, his whole thing was not to find a new religion. His whole goal was to figure out an answer to suffering because he saw all this suffering and it broke his heart. So he goes on this journey and he tries to find out and he's sitting under a tree and it suddenly dawns on him and they call it some moment of enlightenment. And in it, he says this and basically is that the reason why we suffer as human beings is because we have expectations. And if we didn't have any expectations, then we wouldn't suffer. Now, Ravi Zacharias wrote a book called Conversation with Buddha, where he imagines uh, being in India, because he's from India, having a conversation with Buddha. And even Buddha, in this book, he talks about how Buddha was like, I'm not a god, nor want to be a god, and I'm not, I'm not, you know. And so even Buddha himself is disappointed, or would be disappointed, that his followers have deified him. Now, what's interesting is that he was a fleshly person, but he never claimed to be God. Now, Islam focuses and revolves around the prophet Muhammad. And Muhammad never, ever claimed to be God. He says, I am a prophet and a prophet alone. Now you see, it's only Christianity which revolves all the way around Jesus and Jesus claimed he was God. He tells one of his apostles that followed him, Thomas, he says, when you see me, you see God. One of his uh, uh, followers, John, wrote the gospel according to John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which were letters to the early church. And he also wrote the book called The Record of the Apocalypse, which is commonly known as the book of 
Revelation. So this is one of the foundational doctrines of all Christianity. It is the historical, orthodox, pure doctrine of the church from its very inception. And that was Jesus was God before he was born as a human. And this doctrinal truth is called the incarnation. That is not a breakfast drink. Now notice the people who laughed and the people who didn't, right? There's an age break right there. Why is that? Well, because if you, how many of you grew up in the age where there were only four channels on the television, right? And the remote control to change the channel was your kid, right? Go, son, go change the channel. I'm tired of this, right? Well, they would run these things called commercials. I know a lot of people don't know what commercials are on TV today because you can fast forward through them all, right? But there was this one where they had this instant breakfast drink and it was called instant carnation, right? So it sounds the same. That's why the people who are older chuckled at that. See, I'm just sharing a little culture, helping you get civilized. Bottom line is this. Christianity has as a core value the incarnation. And that means that Jesus was God first, and then he became a human being. So let's see what John, his follower, the apostle, wrote in his gospel, okay? And it begins in chapter 1, verse 1. And I will read it for you. Now, if you don't have your Bible or it's not on, you don't have your phone app open, that's fine, because it should appear on the screen as I read. In the beginning was the Word. Now, you'll notice that, that that name Word is capitalized because in the original language, it's a proper name. That's how it's written. And the Word there is Logos, which means the true Word. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So now we see that, that the Word was pre-existent with God. Look at verse 2. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made, and in him is life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now he talks in verses 6 through 9 about uh, John the Baptist coming, and he says a little bit about the light. But I want you to notice verse 14, where he says this, And the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So notice in verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was preexistent with God. And in the verse 14, he uses the same proper name and says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I realize that for some people, and this has been true for the last 2,000 years, is people like really struggle with that. Because, you know, let's say you're a, a man and you marry a woman, right? And then you and your woman have a baby, and it's a boy. And that baby grows up, and you go, well, that son looks like me. People might even say he's a chip off the old block, right? But you go, I'm me, and he's he, right? 
We're two separate entities. You know, we're not the same. We may have the same DNA, but we're really not the same. We have our own thoughts. We have only this. And so trying to figure out with my, my, my brain, which is made, you know, it's got a physiology, a biology to it. It's stuck in what is known as the space-time continuum. How do I imagine something outside of that? How can Jesus be pre-existent with God, become a human being? Because how can you take, you know, something so vast, even greater than the universe and stick it in tiny, a little tiny thing called a person, especially a baby, and then they grow up and they die? I just, I don't know. I have a real trouble with that. Well, I'll illustrate it for you, Okay. And here's the deal with an illustration, is an illustration is always very limited. It's very insufficient. But I want to help you try to understand just a, like a picture, something that helps you get like kind of on the right path to what it possibly could be, okay? So as soon as I pull this off, you're going to realize that uh, it's very limited, and that is this, okay? Uh, this is God, and yes, I put God in a box, and that in and of itself, I'm sure, is heresy. But, uh, but the thing is, is that if you could imagine that this, this is God and there's no limit to God, there's no walls, there's no uh, limit to the amount of God. God is pre-existent. There is no God was never created. He never got started. He has been eternal. He always has been. He always will be. He is the first uncaused cause. So you, we think in those terms, and that, those are doctrinal positions of the church. And so what happens is you have this limitless, never created stuff called God, right? And what happens is it says in there, in the beginning was God, and Jesus was God. And then in Philippians, that other passage we'll dig into more, it says, when he was born, he emptied himself. He let go of his godness and he took the form of a human being, okay? So it's kind of like this. It's like, here's God, right? And then before Jesus was born, and then what happens is Jesus is born. And what we experience, see, it says he took the form of flesh. So what we interact with is this material thing called a human being, Jesus. But the stuff inside is the same as the stuff here. It's, it's all God. And then he dies on a cross, and he rises from the dead. He appears to over 500 of his followers over a period of 45 to 50 days. They see him over and over and over again. And then one of the final times, he ascends into heaven, right? And so what happens is when he ascends into heaven, he then... Now, what I just poured into there is the same atomic molecular structure is what was already in there. So there's no way you can differentiate between them, can you? Once I pour it back in, it's all one. Why is that? Because the essence of God was in Christ. And then when he rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven, it became what he always has been and always will be. And in essence, then after that, the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit is kind of like a mist, you know? So it's always like, I'm misting you. I miss things. I miss things. Now, if you've ever been to a, uh, a church that is very, very old and very liturgical, uh, Eastern Orthodox or a Roman Catholic service, they try to illustrate the, that, that mist of his divine presence. What they do is they have a little canter, and it's a metal, and it has a big chain linked to it. 
And what they do is they put an incense inside of it that smells and smokes. It gives a smoke. So they light that, and then they hang it down, and then he, he does this with it. He shakes it, okay? And what that does is that gives this aroma off and this smoke off, you know, and if you have asthma, you cough. <coughs> um, but it does that to illustrate symbolically that this is now the presence of the Holy Spirit around us and in us. See, that's what they're trying to get at. That's why they do that. So the whole point here is that this is called the Trinity. And this is a doctrine of the church that shows you that the doctrine of the church is not something that the church in its exception made up. It believed because Jesus said it. See, Jesus taught it. And we see his apostle John who followed him and walked with him, saw him crucified, saw him raised from the dead. And at his crucifixion, John is the apostle that was there where Jesus looked down off the cross and said, would you please take care of my mother for me? And John said, yes, I will. So, so this was firsthand. And John says in the beginning was God, the word, and then he emptied himself and he became flesh and dwelt among us. And it was in that moment that we beheld him, the very glory of God. And that's how we know Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. No other person, no other human being can make a claim to being the king like Jesus can make a claim to being the king. Now, you might say to yourself, well, I know some people be really qualified as kings, you know? I mean, I know some people that are really good looking, you know? I mean, George Clooney, I mean, man, would he look good in anything he plays as a king, you know? Or some young guy, you know, like Tom Holland. I guess he's hot now being Spider-Man and all. Um, well, good looks might get you so far, but none of those guys were God first. Just saying. You might have someone who's super, super smart. You know, they know everything. Well, they might be good at making decisions, but they weren't God first. You see, I go on and on and on, and you get the point, and that is, is that Jesus is king of kings because he was God before he was born a man. And you know what that does? It answers our first question that I asked earlier on, and that is, is Jesus your king? Not just a king, but is he your king? Because Jesus is the only king worth following. He is the only one worth following. When you know deep in your heart you have a king and you need to choose who that king should be, choose Jesus. And the reason why is because if we choose ourselves, we are going to be disappointed. We're going to be disappointed because we cannot be our own kings. As a matter of fact, the problem with our world today is everybody thinks they're the king, right? You know, everybody wants to be their own king. I get it. In America, it's like you should be the king of your castle. Hey, I support property rights. I'm into that. But the notion that you're king of everything, I don't think so, especially when you're driving on a road and you have to share it with somebody else. You know those people I'm talking about. The person you're saying, hey, bro, you don't own the road right? Or people live this way, and one of the problems is everybody thinks they should be the king. How is it that an imperfect person, if you're imperfect, how could you be king? Don't, wouldn't you disappoint yourself? 
I don't know about you, but I don't even live up to my own expectations. So why would I want to be king? You know, I always thought I was a great singer. I should, I should be the one who gets a Grammy. But then I listen to myself singing and I go, what is that horrible sound coming out of the radio? That's, what is that? Well, that's you, honey. Oh, leave it to your wife to bring you down to reality. <laughs> so following yourself is a disappointment. You know, there's an atheist, his name is Dillahunty, and he, uh, or Dillahaney, and he, he talks about how, look, I admit that there is no objective morality if there is no God. So I'm going to make up my own morality. I call it a secular morality. And you know, it's really interesting is whenever he's in a debate, people say, well, that's nice, but that's just your opinion. And he goes, yeah, you're right. (laughs) What if somebody else has a different opinion? See, it just, it doesn't. What happens when you have eight kings in a room? They're all fighting about who's what? The better king. That's right. Yeah. And who do they usually step on when they're fighting? All the little people. With that, we cannot be our own kings. You know what else? Somebody else, the world, can't be your king. If the world is your king, it will fill you with pain and sorrow because the world never delivers what it promises. Other people can't be your kings. You'll feel betrayal and a broken heart when you look to other people to be your king and fulfill you. You see, only Jesus is worth following because only Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, some people don't understand what following Jesus means. Some people think, well, I don't want that king because, you know, it's just a bunch of rules and I don't like all these rules and having to follow these rules. Well, guess what? Your morality will get better when you follow Jesus. You'll find a, a better understanding of how to treat people and you'll do better and you'll become a better human being. But ultimately, following Jesus is not about a moral code. It's something much more than that. It's just not figuring out, well, what's right and wrong and I'll try to do what's right. That's not following Jesus. Now, some people think that following Jesus is fire insurance. And you know what they're saying to themselves? They're saying, you know what? I don't want to spend my eternal vacation on the shores of the lake of fire. It's a little bit hot, and I do not have asbestos water skis. So I'll say a few words, and I'll believe a few things, and I'll go to church on Easter, and I'll celebrate Christmas. I'm cool with all that. I mean, of course, I'm going to live my own life and do what I want, make my own decisions, because I'll say I follow the king, but in reality, I still believe in I'm the king. You see, Jesus isn't fire insurance. Now, some people are like, well, you know what? Following that king means I have to be perfect. I always have to do everything perfect. You know what? Following Jesus is not about perfection. You know what? When Jesus becomes your king, you know what that means? It's a very simple truth. You wake up every morning and you go, Jesus, you're the king, not me. Is that really that hard? Jesus, you're the king, not me. That will transform your life because what you'll start to understand is that there is a truth out there that's outside of me. There is a revelation that's outside of me. I can live for something bigger than myself. And what you start to find is that the life that you are meant to live can be lived because it doesn't depend on you, require you to be perfect, require you to make perfect decisions. All you have to do is get up and say, Jesus, you the king, and live that day. You see, Jesus is the only king worth following because ultimately Jesus is the only king 
that can give you worth. He is the only one that brings your life value. And that's my second point. That is, is that the reason why Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords is because he was God first, he became a man, and now he gives your life value. Verse 4 in the passage we read earlier, John chapter 1 says this, In him was life. In him is life. And the life was the light of mankind. You want your life to light up? Then start living real life. The ultimate life. And that means your life must have value and worth. I believe that the cry of every human heart is that they believe their life matters. You look at all the political movements happening right now. You look at what everybody is out protesting and all their, their flags. They, they have their little thing, and it always ends with the notion that my life, what? Matters. My life matters. The cry of every human heart is that my life matters. But let me drop a nuclear bomb of truth on you. You cannot give your life value. You cannot do it. You can believe you have worth, but you can never make yourself have worth. Here's another truth. The world can never give you value. You know, the world, the natural world in which we live, it doesn't really care whether you're here or not. If you don't believe me, just go in the mountains in January and be naked for about a week. If you survive, which you won't, right? Do you think the weather really cares? No, it does not. When an earthquake comes, does it get up and go, hmm, I think I'll, you know, go around this house and not that house because, oh, there's some really nice puppy dogs. I mean, like puppy dogs. It, it's indiscriminate. It can't, naturalism, the, the, this Material world cannot give you worth. Guess what? Other people can't give you worth. Other people can look at you and say, I believe you have worth, but they can't give you worth. Only God, who became a man, can give you worth. That's why Jesus is the only king who can give you worth and why he should be your king. The Lord of lords, God, all things created through him became a human being, a man. And this is what we celebrate on Christmas, his birth. And only he can give you worth. Very, very early on, probably 20, 30 years ago, Max Lucado started writing books. And in one of his first books, he talks about a story. It's one of my personal favorites. And it talks about the time when he was actually a missionary in South America. Okay? And he was pastoring a little tiny church down there. And in the church was a woman named Dona Nosa. And the thing about Dona Nosa was she was kind of, you know, she was one of the uh, pillars of the church and she had a big personality and she was, a, she was a parent. She had grandkids and she was just like, you know, the, you know, every church has like kind of a mama, you know, that just goes around like a big Italian mama and just loves everybody. Kind of. Dona Nosa was that type of person. Okay. And what happened is Dona Nosa was tragically killed in a car accident. And so he gets a phone call, Dona Nosa is at the hospital, so he goes down to the hospital, and two of her sons were there, and they get there, and when he gets there, he says, well, we've pronounced her dead. 
So he's, he's heartbroken, and he's talking to the sons, and he says, well, how do we notify the next of kin? And he said, who do you want me to do uh, to notify? How can I be of help? Da, da, da. And he knew that Dona had a daughter named Carmelita. And so he's kind of going through the list. Oh, how about the other brothers? Should we notify him? And said, okay, yeah, why don't you call him? And he goes, um, should I call Car- or try to get a hold of Carmelita? I don't have her contact info, but maybe I could try it. They go, no, 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 we need to do it. And he says, oh, that's interesting. Why is that? So they tell him the story of Dona Nosa's daughter that he had never met. He said, when we were younger, uh, mom would pile us into the car because we didn't have a lot of money, you know, and we would drive out into the sticks, you know, of South America and these little villages where, you know, there's no roads, there's no lights, there's no uh, sidewalks, there's, you know, there's just these little dirt villages and stuff. And we would just drive out there to see the countryside of our nation. He says, one day we stopped in a little tiny village. Uh, there was nothing, no cobblestone streets, no nothing, just dirt roads and a few houses. And on the porch of one of the houses was one of those big coolers that, uh, that had like Coke on the side of it and said, you know, sodas for sale. So we stopped and we go, hey, we're going to get a soda. And when we get out of the car, we're walking over to this little house. There's a girl playing in the mud or in the dirt in the street. She's got matted hair, filthy, dirty, uh, smeller from 100 yards. He says, we run up onto the porch to pick out our soda pop. And mom walks over and asks this girl, what's your name and what are you doing here? And the girl was unresponsive and wouldn't really talk. And so she walks up and the guy who owned the house with the cooler on the front of it, he says, hey, uh, what's up with this little girl over here? He says, oh, well, her and her mother moved here about a year ago. And then her mom got sick and died. And so Dona Nosa says, well, did anybody adopt her or take care of her? No. Who Up here, we're so poor. Who wants another mouth to feed regularly? Be responsible. Well, how's she surviving? He says, well, it doesn't get too cold here at night. You know, she'll sleep under a porch or in a field. And, and sometimes different people in the village will give her scraps. So Dona Nosa says to her kids, says, okay, kids, it's time to go home. Go get in the car. So they grab their sodas, they run down, they jump in the back of a car, her husband gets in the car, starts it up. She walks over, she grabs a little girl by the arm, picks her up and says, you're my daughter now, and put her in the car. Her name was Carmelita. So they do the funeral, and uh, when you do the pastor thing at a funeral, and you don't know everybody, you know, while you're kind of doing the ceremony. You're looking around. You're thinking, okay, who don't I know? And he was like, I, I want to try to find Carmelita because I can't see her. But the problem was, it was one of those really old Gothic churches, you know, where it has a narthex and all the stone, the stained glass windows, and those ancient wood pews. And, you know, it's kind of dusty and it's not lit real well. And the, the, the light kind of streams in and makes it look kind of eerie. And he said, I, I couldn't see real well. So I uh, finished the ceremony. He walks everybody out in a procession and they get out. And he realizes back in the uh, uh, church building, he'd left his Bible or something. So he walks back in to get it. And he walks in, he goes, the light was streaming through one of the things. It was completely empty. And he said, there was a girl in her mid-20s. He says, she's one of the most beautiful young ladies he'd ever seen. And she was standing by the casket. And tears were streaming down her face. And he heard her say over and over and over again, gracias, madre, gracias. 
Thank you, Mom. Thank you. You see, because Donanosa could love that girl like God loves us, it was the love of God through her that gave that girl value. And now she looks back and says, thank you for saving my life. My friends, Jesus is king because he gives your life value. Why would he do that? Because he loves you. Let's see what Steve has to say. Right now is the time to act on what the Lord has revealed to you. Be a doer of the word so you don't forget what it says or who you are in Christ. If you are just starting your journey with Jesus, download the booklet from our website, How to Connect to Jesus Christ. It will help you walk through how to start a dynamic relationship with Him. Or maybe you need to get baptized. You can find out all you need to know or schedule a time simply by texting FH Baptism to 97000. One of the most important things you can do is connect to a small group or even start one yourself. Finally, if you need someone to pray for you, text FH Prayer to 97000. We want to be a church that prays for you and your faith. If you're doing church at home, watching online, or at a micro church service, use the discussion questions to continue the conversation. If you are on campus, please stand for closing prayer.